Amen. You can be seated. Man, there's a heck of a lot more people here at this service than there was first service. Y'all be sleeping in in the summer. Where's my Mexico missions team? Yeah. Come on up here. Oh. A lot of you guys made it. It's like spread out. Not around me like I'm a mob boss. Like come in the middle. Like move, move it in. We're not taking a picture here. Well, not that kind of picture. Anyways, awesome. So, uh, church, I just want to let you know, next weekend, your uh, Faith and Victory Mexico missionaries are going to go down and build a house in Mexico for a family in need. And so we're going to pray for them here in second service. But when you see them, just go pray for them. Think about them next weekend. We're leaving on Friday. We're coming back on Monday. Uh, keep us in your prayers um, that God will do mighty things through us. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter um, 15, verse 58 says, Be steadfast and immovable, knowing that your work for the Lord is not in vain. And that's what we're going down to do. Amen? Let's pray. Raise your, stick your hands out or something. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much, God. I, I thank you for this opportunity to serve you in your kingdom, Lord God. Above all, uh, remind us, Lord God, that our labor for you is not in vain uh, and that we are serving you, Lord God. I pray that uh, we could uh, spread encouragement uh, to fellow believers. I pray that we can uh, bring encouragement um, from you to the fellow missionaries that will be down there with us, Lord God. I pray that you'd bless our steps. I pray that you'd protect us from harm, but for not from experiences, Lord. Uh, we just give you glory in this, and we just love to serve you in your holy name. Amen. 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 Awesome. Well, I'm glad you're here today. Genuinely. Blood is thicker than water. I considered like some sort of props, but then blood and water, no? No one else? I thought it might be distracting. All right. Did you get it? It's like a joke grenade, just like. All right. We better pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just love you so much. I thank you for this opportunity to speak by your word, Lord God. I pray that I would not be a distraction, Lord God, but that, that you would speak to your people a word that you need them to hear and that it would change our lives as we go from here um, and we would not be the same as we came in. In your holy name, amen. amen. So we're going to be preaching this morning out of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says this, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many, wondered, uh, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them up among um, anyone who had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their church daily those who were being saved. Amen. 
Now this is the Acts church. This is the famed, infamous Acts church that we always talk about uh, in the modern day church. Talking about what kind of church should we have? What should we be directed for? It's this. The prototype, our example, the local church, the first Christian church. I mean, if you think about it, these are the Christians now. Christ has died and rose again. They're all Christians now and they're meeting together like this. Preaching the word, sharing fellowship and all those kind of things. They are like... The first local church. Now, if we're going to experience this kind of spirit-filled Christianity uh, church, we're going to have to have our values rooted in the same thing that they had their values rooted in. That's really the key to it, right? Is We need to value the same things that they valued if we're going to have that experience that they had. Now, this is a literal story. A lot of times... I, I don't like it when people try to explain away what the Bible says by thinking that maybe it, it didn't really happen that way. Yeah. This literally happened. Yeah. <laughs> this literally happened. People got saved. They came together. They fellowshiped. They sold all their possessions and goods, divided them among all of them as they had need. But then the question arises, why? Why did they do that? And so scholars, so, now listen, scholars come in two camps. There's some scholars who really deeply think and process through what the scriptures say and try to understand what God is saying to us through the scriptures. And they can elaborate that and it's very useful to read through, through some of those commentaries and learn uh, a deeper level. See where you can see even deeper in scripture than you could already. But then there's this whole other group of scholars that kind of spend their time trying to rationalize away everything that the Holy Spirit did in the, in the Bible. They say, that can't possibly be true. So let me try to use my scholarly uh, knowledge to explain it away. So there's the scholars, in big quotes, um, had two different ways that they try to um, explain away what happened here. And the first is they say that the the church was short-sighted. They believed that Jesus was returning in days or weeks, maybe even a month. So they didn't really need their stuff. Who cares? Sell it all, come together, and we'll all just break bread together until Jesus shows up. Anytime now. Anytime. He's coming soon, right? That's what the Bible says. (laughs) Not quite as soon as they thought, right? (laughs) The other thing that they say is that these new believers were just so overwhelmed by this new experience in Christ and their new life in Christ that they began to act irrationally. And just like, we don't care about anything else. Sell it all. And uh, we'll just give it to the church and, and be like that. So this is, this is what I've decided I think is true about this. My answer is don't rationalize away the amazing work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. These, this was a huge, exciting thing. And the Lord blessed them mightily for their generosity. It wasn't a mistake. They didn't go crazy. They were meeting a very real need that the people had. But if giving to the poor was the proper expression of discipleship, the apostles would have preached it in every town they went to. But they didn't. They were talking to the believers in Jerusalem. So, why did they do it? They were meeting a need of the people of the present day. They had a very pressing need, and the need was getting met through the generosity of those people. But how can our local church, how can us today follow this example and do the things like they did them? How can we do that? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So my first point is, this Acts church was welcoming. 
The church was welcoming. In Acts chapter 2, 44 through 45 says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them up among all as, every, as anyone had need. Let me just say this before we get too far into this. Do not go sell all your possession and your house and bring the money here to the church. We do not want that. That is not what, that's, not even what, that's not what we're talking about today. Don't go sell your, cro- your crock pot on Craigslist and bring the money down here. That's not the point I'm trying to make this morning. Because in America, we don't typically lose money and jobs and, and homes and things like that when we give our life to Christ. You're, you could come today, I encourage you to, come today, come down here, give your life to Jesus Christ and leave here a new creation and you'll go back, right back to work tomorrow and everybody will just be like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you'll still, you'll go back to the widget factory, you'll make your quota widgets for the day and you'll get your paycheck and all will be well. Yes. Now back in the day, you give your life to Christ, I mean, it's pretty much over for you. Like, the culture isn't going to accept you. They're going to, uh, you, you could get kicked out of the house you live in. They, they'll take your job away from you. You'll get persecuted. You may get beat up. You need to come to the community of believers, and they're trying to meet your needs. Like, you need food. You need clothes. We're going to help you out. But you're not going to lose your food and your clothes when you come to Jesus today. So what's this pressing need that we need today as believers, uh, new believers come in to the church? What do they need today? They need friends and family. Because that's what you're going to lose when you come to Christ. That's what's going to happen when you go back to work. Your coworker is going to try to swap some nasty story what happened that week. And you're going to say you gave your life to Jesus. He's going to say, I don't want to hear about that. We're not friends anymore. I actually, I didn't say this first service. I'll say this service. Um, when, so I, I grew up in church. Um, I had these little baby steps along the way. But when I was about 18 years old, it finally hit me. Do you believe that Jesus really died for your sins or not? Do you really believe it? Because if you really believe it, you have to do something about it. Your life has to change. And I had a friend. We were thick as thieves for years, all through high school and everything. Just thick as thieves. And I told them, listen, I can't do what we're doing anymore because I believe Jesus died for me and I need to change my actions. We need to do something else. And they said, and I'm not even lying, if that's the way you're going to be, then we can't be friends anymore. That's what you lose. Friendships, relationships, even family will reject you. When people come into the community of believers, when they come into this church, their pressing need is family and friends. The American ethos is this. Time is more valuable than money because you can always make more uh, money, but you cannot make more time. No, you you come over overseas with that attitude. They're just shaking their heads like these Americans. Like, what are you talking about? Time is infinite. It never ends. You have all the time you could ever want. And we're over here like, no. I'm busy. I only got so much time in the day. And uh, I can make as much money as I want, but I can't make more time in the day. That's how we are. So realistically in America, time is currency. You can give all your money away. You'll just make more tomorrow. But you can't give all your time away. You'll never get it back, right? That's how we think. So your time is your currency. That's what has value when you give it to other people. You know, it's common to say things like, um, uh, I just don't have time to fill in the blank. I just don't have time to serve in church. I just don't have time to meet for somebody to coffee, for coffee. I'm so scheduled and so busy. I'll be honest with you, if I overrun my time this morning, someone's going to get up and walk out because they've got somewhere to be. Yeah. 
That's how we are. I'm not pointing fingers. That's how we are. I got a list of to-dos. And when somebody calls me and they need to talk about something, I can't lie. Sometimes I'm like, well, you know, like in my mind, I'm thinking, well, what, what on my list isn't going to get done today? Yeah. Yeah. But the time has value. And here's the deal. You will find time for the things that are important to you. Yeah. You will. If you want to go fishing, you'll find time to go fishing. If you want to work overtime, listen, nobody wants to work more. They want to get paid more. So when it's time to work overtime, you'll be like, hey, I know we were going to meet today, but I have to work. That's how I'm not telling you anything I haven't done. This is confessional this morning. I've done it. When you welcome somebody to church, You are giving them your time and attention, and they know intrinsically how valuable that is, and it's a meaningful gift. Even if somebody can't articulate it, the feeling they get when you give them your genuine time and attention is a feeling of value, like they're worth it, like they belong here, like you want them here. When you can't give them that, they will inside intrinsically feel like, I don't belong here, I don't have value here, they don't want me here. Even if, even if they can't articulate it, they may say something, and we've heard this, I don't know what it is about that place, but I just like it. Yeah. That's saying, I feel like they value me. That's saying, they've given me their time, and that's more important than giving me their money. Amen. Ranking among the top reasons visitors stay at our church is because you are welcoming and you are authentic. Amen. It's not the preaching, the worship, it's not the building, it's certainly not the coffee. And people say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, the preaching's good. Yeah, 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 I, you know, I, like the, I like the worship music. But almost always, it's because we are welcoming and we are authentic, and that's you. That's because of you. That's why people come in and visit, and then they stay. That's why our numbers always grow over the summer. And then in September, when everybody comes back from vacation, we're like, ah, where'd all these people come from? <laughs> it's because you're welcoming and authentic. And that speaks to people's hearts. Now, every week I have a conversation with somebody that starts with, I don't think I've met you yet. Sometimes I have met them. (laughs) Very awkward moment. I might have said hi. I probably forgot their name. Realistically, they've forgotten my name about half the time. But it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to the point where I can see out of the corner of my eye that somebody walked in that I don't know, and, but I'm so engaged in the conversation I'm currently having that I didn't see them walk in. And then I'm so busy that I go the other direction because i got to go take care of something. Because it's so awkward to walk up to somebody and be like, I don't know if I've met you yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about two weeks ago. I've been coming about two months. Like, oh, that's awkward. And then you say, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, what was your name again? And then they, they're thinking, well, gosh, he didn't remember my name. It's okay that I tell him, hey, and I don't remember your name again. Yeah. That's being welcoming. We got to do those things. Is it hard for you to speak to people who you don't know? Good. Because we get lots of visitors here, so you get plenty of chances to be uncomfortable. <laughs> Really, it just takes, I'm not lying, it takes practice. For me, being kind of an introvert, don't, don't judge. It takes practice. Some people it comes easy, not easy for me. 
but I do it. Because we have to be more intentional about including people in uh, building genuine relationships. You have to be intentional about building relationships. It doesn't come natural for me. It just doesn't. Some people it does. Maybe they just, um, they connect with people really easy. It doesn't come natural for me. When I first got married, I had no clue what I was doing. I was 22 when I got married. How did this even happen? God ordained it because she shouldn't have married me. (laughs) But she did, praise God. Best thing that ever happened to me. 22 years ago. So, this is what happened. I had no, what I, oh, no idea what I was doing. And she would say things like, I really need you to do this. Or, can you really help me out with this? And I would later just be like, I don't understand what she wants from me. How am I supposed to know? Because she's trying to tell you. And so, I don't remember where I learned it. She probably told me. You have to stop and have this really awkward conversation and say, what are the things that you like? What what, what do you find valuable? What could I do for you that would make you feel blessed? And then you write it down and you go away and you make calendar reminders and you put it on your to-do list and you make it a priority and you leave yourself little notes because back then you didn't have a, you couldn't just put it in your phone 22 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a pocket full of scratch paper and I'd just be pulling it out like, oh, oh, this one, this is important. She likes her foot, she likes foot rubs, not from you, from me. And so what I have to do is I have to put it on my to-do list. So as I'm sitting there at night and I'm going through my to-do list of what I have to do tomorrow, I go, oh, rubber feet. And then I'll be like, hey, honey, can I bless you with a foot rub? She's like, oh, thank you for thinking of that. Insincere? Contrived? No. Intentional. Intentional. You do it on purpose. It's loving and caring because you took the time to write it down, figure out what it was, and then remember it later. You have to be intentional about building relationships with people. It's not going to come natural. You're not going to just magically remember somebody's name. I, for me, it's two things. I can't do both at once. I can either remember your name or I can remember your story. So either I'm going to call you by name and be like, I can't remember how I know this person. Or I'm going to be like, yeah, you're the guy who's up from Arizona. Your daughter goes to this church. We met about three months ago. And, you know, that, but I have no idea what your name is. I'm sorry. It takes intentionality to remember people's names and to remember their story and genuinely invest in their life. There's nothing more impactful to the brand new person who walks in that the second time they walk through the door, you call them by name and you remember what they did and say, hey, how was your week? Didn't you work at wherever? This is intentional. Hey, let me give you a call midweek. I don't, I don't really know you that well, but I just wanted to give you a call. I've seen you at church. Oh, okay. Hey, what do you like to do for fun? Maybe we have something in common. Awkward, but intentional. Next thing you know, you got something going. We need to be intentional about seeking out and building relationships in the church or it will never happen. It will never happen. People will slip through the cracks and be left behind. And we don't want that. Now the world's culture works like this. If you believe as the group believes and you behave as the group behaves, then you will belong to the group. That's how it works. And I think, I think I said first service, it started around middle school, but I think honestly it starts about six years old. You quickly learn as social animals that 
If you want to belong to the group, you have to do what they do. You have to say what they say. You have to think what they think. And if you don't, you'll be pushed out of the group. That's just how the world works. But that's not how the church should work. The church should work opposite. It should be belong, believe, behave. So let me break it down. First of all, you belong in church. If you're a Christian, you're mandated by the Bible to be part of the local body of the church. So thank you for being here. I'm glad you made it today. But could there be any better place for a non-believer to be than in the church? They belong here too. We want them here. How are they ever going to be saved and know the Lord if they're not around people, somebody's telling them about Jesus? Right? They need to be in the community of believers. They need to know that they're accepted here. They need to know that as they walk in the door, they're not going to be ostracized because they're not like everybody else. They don't have to put up a front. They walk in the door, they're welcoming love just like everybody else. They can sit here in the chairs and hear the message from the Bible just like everybody else. And because they feel comfortable enough to be here because they know they belong, because you've shown them genuine love and care, because they know that, then they will come to belief. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What that basically means to you is that while you still don't know people and they still don't know the Lord yet, Christ died for them so you can show them a little bit of care and concern too. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to earn your favor. That's not fair. You couldn't earn the favor of Jesus. So why should they have to earn your favor? Then they stay, they're comfortable, they can listen to the word, their defenses come down, and they may come to believe. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So how can we expect them to listen to the word of God here if we don't make them feel welcome here? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, But God, which is rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The ultimate goal here is to have people come to know the, the Lord as their Lord and Savior. That's what we're kind of doing here. Otherwise, it's just a club. And we're not a club. There's really no reason to come here unless we're all trying to know him more or get to know him. When they believe, then the spirit will lead them to behave. Because what good is behavior if it's not spirit-led behavior? If it's not grace-motivated obedience, what, what really value is it? And how easy will it be for them to stick to a behavior change when they're just doing it so you won't condemn them? They need to be doing it to pursue righteousness, not to avoid your condemnation. The Holy Spirit's going to change them from the inside out, and they will come to behave. First they belong, they will end up believing, and then they will start behaving. That's how it works. And it's not about you, make it about them. We're so busy making it about ourselves. John 13, verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give you, that, your lo- that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also would love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If someone comes into the church, and you don't have love for one another, then they're going to think that Jesus isn't here. That this isn't the place for them. Because they can go get backbiting and arguing and deception out in the world. They already have it. Why would they want to come here and get it? The chairs are not that comfortable. The coffee's not that good. (laughs) We can't make our goal just showing up for church 
and getting our needs met. That can't be your primary goal in life. Make time to come to church so you can just get your your needs met and then walk away. I remember, um, so growing up, um, there, my youth pastor, his name was Roger Archer. He moved in across the street from us when we were, um, I don't know, early high school, eighth, ninth grade, I think it was. And he moved in across the street from us. He's so funny. He's the same exact guy he is today as he was when he was a 20-something-year-old youth pastor. <laughs> He's just so full of energy and love. And so he came over while we were playing basketball and said, hey, guys, can I play? We're like, uh, sure, stranger from the neighborhood. Let's play some basketball. So anyways, he invites us to church. We go to his youth group. We for real get saved because, you know, he like real Bible believing, all this kind of stuff. He ends up being the senior pastor. Shelly and I get together. We're going to that church. Everything's great. He ends up doing our wedding. He officiated our wedding. Then we went off to the Marine Corps. And then when we came back, uh, we, he had a church in Puyallup. So we started going to his church in Puyallup, and we were there all the time um, at this church in Puyallup. So then he used to say things like, but now the church is like 1,000 people, 1,200 people. And you, you'd pass by him in the, in the sanctuary, and he'd say, hey, you know what? Let's go get some dinner or something, you know? I'd be like, great, let's go get some dinner. And then I'd turn around and walk away and be like, well, if he really wants to get dinner with me, he'll call me and initiate. After all I've done for him. Yeah. <laughs> The reality is, he's got a thousand people clamoring for his time and attention. He's gotten brand new people who need to know they're loved by the senior pastor. The last thing he needs is some guy who's not doing anything, trying to suck up all his time, when really, I should be looking for new people and trying to make them feel welcome and build relationships with them. At some point, you have to turn from being the one who's getting welcome to being the one who's welcoming other people. That's what you got to do. You know when I figured that out? When we planted this church. I'm like, dude, can they just build relationships with each other and stop calling all the time? Oh! Dang it! When we were smaller, it was a lot easier. And when we were smaller, uh, at about, I think it was about five years, we might have been about 50 people at about five years. Pastor Matt was working full-time, 50, 60 hours a week, running the church full-time. Um, and then finally, after about five years, he got a chance to take a vacation. So he went out of town like, to Texas for like a month, the Christianists did. So I was filling in, I was preaching, a new visitor came, week one, week two, they don't know anything about Faith and Victory Church. Um, next thing you know, they're at the front door greeting people. Pastor Matt comes back, this person who's been here like three weeks grabs one of those yellow visitor bags and hands it to him <laughs> and says, welcome to Faith and Victory Church. We have been laughing about that for 10 years. But what we deal with now is because there's hundreds of people here, everybody's thinking somebody else is going to do it. Because it's weird. It's uncomfortable, like I said. So everybody thinks somebody else is going to do it, and then nobody ends up doing it. So we need to remember, as a church, trying to be like the Axe Church, we need to be welcoming. And we need to continue these intentional relationship building. Otherwise, people are going to slip through the cracks. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as in a manner of some, but exhorting one another, as so much as more as uh, we see the day coming. The Axe Church was also authentic. They were authentic. 
Acts chapter 2 verse uh, 46. So continuing daily with one uh, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. These believers were in constant fellowship. It's, it basically says they were there every day the doors were open. Daily. And then they'd hang out together and break bread at their houses. And so it, it's interesting because not so much lately, but a while back, you would hear sometimes people say that there's an inner circle and an outer circle. And they would say, how do I get in the inner circle? I was like, well, that's super easy. Be here every time the doors are open. Why do they seem like an inner circle? Because they're here serving together. They're knowing each other. They're learning each other. They're building relationships. You want to be part of this circle, show up and build relationships. Simple, you're in. There's no inner circle. There's people who spend all their time serving and there's people who don't. If you want to build relationships in this church, show up and serve and you will build relationships. I guarantee it. They spent time together all the time. It's really difficult to get back past a surface relationship if you don't spend any time together. It is. This is how the average conversation goes. Hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. Five minutes before service or five minutes after service. You can't grow a relationship if you're only spending five minutes before service and five minutes after service with somebody. I mean, I'm a long talker. I can't hardly get a sentence out in the five minutes before service. I'm like, let's pick this up after service. I, I can't tell you what's going on. I can't do that. I can't open up like that. I need time. I need investment. You want to invest in somebody's life and have that time to build relationships? Call them midweek. Take them out to coffee. Do something like that. And then that's where you invest the time. And time is value. It's money. It's currency. Invest that time and you can build relationships. We have to keep it real. The thing is, is that Christians are frequently labeled as hypocrites. And it's often because we preach holiness but act human. It's natural. Listen, it's not fair for the world to put some kind of uh, thing on us that says you have to be perfect because you talk about Jesus being perfect. No, you have to try to be perfect. You're not going to make it. That's reality. Be authentic about it. Be real with people. It's like, no, I'm not perfect. I'm doing the best I can. That's why we come to church, because we're all doing the best I can, we can. You want to do better? You want to do your best? Come to church. We'll all do it together. That's authenticity. But I think it's even more, uh, even more often, it's because we act like everything's okay when it's not. We act like we have it all together when we don't. I think that's why we get this label of, of hypocrite. Because you think you got everything together, but you don't. We're not being authentic with people, and it shows. They got that little authenticity barometer. They meet you, and they're like, this Christian thinks he's got all together. He never struggles with anything. They're like, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. You have to, if you won't be honest with people, they won't feel safe being honest with you. Um, I listen to Christian rap. No? You don't have to be embarrassed about it. It's okay. It's a legitimate genre. You can admit it. This is the trend I've noticed in Christian rap that I really like. Is they're trending towards honesty and authenticity. They're not talking about stupid stuff anymore. They're not trying to take the thing of the world and put a Jesus spin on it and talk about it now. They're talking about how they feel. They're talking about how they walk. They're talking about how their lives are. They're being real now. And I love that. There's a song right now that I love listening to called Propaganda. It's called, or by Propaganda, it's called Forgive Me For Asking. And this is the first verse. It says this, question, this is embarrassing. You ever been scared you had no idea what you were talking about? Yeah, me too. Honestly perplexed, 
I've lied and so have you Christians lying. Like you've never had questions. Like you've never had that moment when your inner dialogue, uh, uh, where your inner dialogues uh, were all of a sudden in third person. Are you like, are you really buying this? You're lying. Like your eyes are always 100% satisfied with your spouse and you don't need accountability. Neither of which is biblical, by the way. Your eyes are never satisfied. Us overgrown primates with egos lying. You quote the devil when you declare yourself okay. You get it, but you don't get it. Like you've never planted your Chuck Taylors firmly in the sinking sand. You're lying. We for centuries sing, sing hymns of grace. And this is why it's amazing. And if it's not, you don't understand. Or you're lying. Which is why your friends don't believe you. There is just as much Jesus' blood on your hands as there is his. Are you sure you understand the cross? I'm like, oh, come on, Pandora. I was just looking for a good beat to drive home to. And you got to get me all convicted? You're lying if you're not being honest with yourself or others about your fears, concerns, and spiritual condition. Who are you trying to impress? Be honest. Be honest with where you're at. What's the benefit of lying to your church family? There isn't. Because they don't believe you. When you act like something you're not, something inside of them says, I don't believe it. How can you build a relationship with people if you keep acting like something you're not? The answer is you can't. You have to be authentic with people. You have to keep it real with people. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in, in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one to the spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Don't be offended when people point out your, in, uh, your imperfections. It should just make you less self-conscious, less self-conscious about them. It's okay. Are you afraid to keep it real? Nervous about what others think about you if you, if you, uh, if you would share your struggles? Good. You now have the opportunity to grow in your faith and build real relationships. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, uh, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out uh, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is what the Acts Church modeled to us. And this is what we should do. Now this is where the holding people accountable piece fits into it. Because that's part of being authentic too. Uh, this week at work. It's been a humbling season for me. Uh, you may not be able to see it, but it has. Um, this week at work... Um, I was talking to uh, the chief, and we, were ta- we talk a lot about, I talk with the chiefs a lot. We always talk about leadership and accountability and things like that, you know, good stuff, the, depart- the, the way the department should be going. And something ha- uh, happened this week, and I let it go. Somebody did something wrong, not terrible, but just wrong, and I just let it go. I was like, ah, I don't want to get into it, you know, it, it's, it'll probably be okay. So we're having this talk. I'm talking to the chief about leadership. And we're having this talk. We walk into his office and he goes, you know what? 
We talk all day long about, uh, about accountability around here. Leadership's holding accountability. And in an assessment center, you'd knock it out of the park. But when we walk out these doors, I'm just not seeing it. Oh. <laughs> but this is what's awesome about that. Is he could have let me go on believing that I was doing the right thing and that my leadership was working. But it's not working. I need to do something different. And it takes somebody to hold you accountable for you to say, dang it, I need to do it differently. So I went and found that firefighter and told him not to do it again. And they had this sly kind of look on their face like, I just got caught. That's accountability. We can't be afraid when people try to hold us accountable. Don't get mad when a friend points out that your spiritual fly is down. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also, for, uh, must also do. Proverbs 19.11. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Here's a modern proverb that somebody might have made up yesterday. If you get mad at somebody who points out that your fly is down, they will never tell you when you have a booger hanging out of your nose. It's true. It's true. The third point is this. The Acts church was restorative. The Acts church was restorative. Let's look at Acts chapter 2 verses 42 and 47. 42 says this. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And verse 47 says. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Verse 42 Continued in fellowship. Fellowship, the Greek koinonia. A close mutual relationship and participation in life together. There implies this singleness of purpose, trust in one another, and harmony rather than hostility. That's what they had together. That's what we need to have together. Is that kind of relationship. The Acts Church was close. They were committed to one another and they were committed to their fellowship. They were committed to their local church. Um, I was reading a book, actually, Brian uh, Faith suggested it to me, and I hemmed and hawed for a while because the title sounds intimidating. It's called Disciples of a Godly Man by R. Kent Hughes. Men, read that book. It will give you plenty to work on for the next few years. In this book, the author's talking about uh, the Lone Ranger Christian and the conditional loyalty they bring to the table and that hitchhiker mentality that they bring into the church. He says this, the hitchhiker's thumb says, you buy the car, you pay for the repairs and upkeep and the insurance and fill the car with gas, then I'll ride with you. But if you have an accident, you're on your own and I'll probably sue. As if the church was an Uber, just parked around the corner some, somewhere waiting for you to, to call so they can take you from your, your one location to another location. You don't even pay them. It's this consumer mentality in the church. It's like, that's not what the church is. That's not what this church is. It's not a consumer industry. You don't just come and consume and then go away. It's a participation industry. I had somebody say to me the other day, they were talking about church, and they said something about dealing with the customers. I said, whoa, whoa, we don't have customers. Well, what do you call them then? We call them family. Everybody's got a role in the family. 
You participate. This isn't a consumer industry. A Hitchhiker's Thumb. This isn't an Uber. That's the modern day. This book was written in the 90s. They didn't know what Uber was. <laughs> I paraphrase. I paraphrase. So we're talking about being restorative in the church. You should be committed to the local church in the same way that your hands are committed to your body. Now men, it says this. I love this too. He says this. Men, on the most basic level, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if you do not, you will have a very poor relationship. First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love, love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. You are all different. You all have different abilities. You're all different parts of the body. But we're one body together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12, verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffers with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We're not in competition with each other. We're all in this together. We need the local church. You need it. We need each other. You need to be a part of this. Now, you need to be reconciled to God. That's really where it all comes together. You need to be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone, is, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God, that God was um, in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That basically says two things. One, a holy, holy God sent Jesus to be the, the, uh, the connection point between sinful man and a holy God. He is our reconciliation to a holy God. The only way to heaven, the only way that anyone can be saved. But it's also saying that by this he's given us the word reconciliation. That not only do we need to be reconciled to God, we need to be reconciled to each other. You've got no other option. We need to be reconciled to God, but because of what Christ Jesus has done for us, reconciling us to God, we need to be reconciled to each other. Now, who was being added to the church daily? That's how we started, right? And they were being added to the church daily. So I looked at the verses just before this. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter's basically breaking down the gospel right here. He's about to tell you. You want to know what the gospel is? He's about to tell you. You've crucified Christ. He's the Lord. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in 40, verse 41, uh, it says, Then those who gladly received his words were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. See, the reality is it's a very simple gospel in terms of scope, but it's a very difficult thing to do. But you have to have action uh, when you do it. And that's what, uh, actually, we've got a baptism going today after third service. So we've got the opportunity. You can give two for one today. You can give your life to Christ and you can get baptized. Why don't we bow our heads? I hope what you've received and heard out of this today is the idea that Christ has reconciled us to God through his death on the cross and his resurrection. That's the gospel. You're a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus Christ is that savior. Repent of your sins. Be baptized. Come to the Lord and give your life to Christ. So right now, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. If this is your first time ever, today you got that prick in your heart and your spirit that says, I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. I believe it now for the first time and I want to commit my life to Christ. I want you to raise your hand and we want to pray with you. Raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to come up here in front of a room full of Christians, a family to go from belonging to believing. If that's you today, I'm asking you to come up. We'll pray for you. Now in the space too, if, if maybe you were connected to God, maybe you've walked, it's been a long time and you've walked away from it and you need to recommit. You just got convicted. Like you were gone and you were lost and now you're found and you want to come back to Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about having a bad week or a bad month. I'm talking about you walked away and now you want to come back. If that's you, I want you to walk up here right now and let somebody pray with you. Welcome back to the family. Amen. Praise God. Amanda. Praise God. This is the family of God. No better time, no better place. God, we give you glory. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I love you. God, we just give you glory, Lord God. I praise you for the ministry of reconciliation, Lord Jesus. I praise you for this church. I praise you for giving me somewhere to belong, Lord. I give you glory. I give you praise. We just worship your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jay. Thank you for watching the Faith and Victory live stream. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check us out online at faithandvictory.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and we'd love to connect with you there. If you'd like to financially support Faith and Victory Church's ministry, please text FAVC to 77977. God bless you and keep you. From the FVC live team. Thank you.